What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday afternoon edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. Also, a March Madness edition as basketball tournament just kicked off. And Richard and I have pulled ourselves away from the TV, as has our guest, for a little bit. We are brought to you today by uh, our partners and friends at Salesforce Revenue Cloud, gong.io, and lead411.com. So today, my co-host, a good friend, Richard Harris, and I are talking to another friend of ours and uh, vice president of sales, lives in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I don't know if you know this, Richard, will be coming to surf and sales officially. He's on his way. Mike Hook. I didn't know that. Was that today? No, this Mike, Mike was one of the first people on it. He might even have been the first one, actually. I can't remember. He might have been the first one. Wow. I didn't know that. Mike, I'm glad to clearly that's how much, you know, we communicate. So shame on Scott for not telling me every time, right? I blame hashtag blame Scott Lees. Uh, but Mike, I'm, I'm glad to be able to actually spend real time with you. Not that we haven't before, but uh, it'll be nice to sort of, you know, really get to spend some time with you. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So when Scott had uh, released it through his Patreon, I was there and I saw it and uh, talked about it, signed up. I remember actually, so when I first had started kind of talking to, to you and Scott last year, I forget it was like maybe December, maybe January. It was right when I was moving to Texas and you guys were doing surf and sales and I was talking to Scott about it and I was like, uh, I'm starting a new job. I can't come down. So pencil me in for the next one. And uh, here we are, November, a little bit longer than originally anticipated, yeah. but I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's a little <laughs> bit longer than we all anticipated, right? Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Uh, well, Mike, Mike, tell everybody um, about your role, you know, what you, what you do. You're the VP of sales at Childcare CRM. Tell everybody a little bit about what that sale is like and, and what your role is like. Yeah, so sales at Childcare CRM. So within the company, we... Uh, really cover the entire childcare industry from SMB mid market to enterprise. And we've put together a solution to help uh, really an industry that's not very technologically advanced, a lot of pen and paper, a lot of teachers. So it's a great chance for us to go in to help provide a CRM and a technology that empowers and allows these childcare centers, owners and directors to go and fill their centers, drive enrollments, and ultimately spend more time with the community, the thing they signed up for. So I started 14 months ago, uh, leading the sales team there. And since then, uh, have been able to really grow the team. And, and the focus for me for this year is let's build the team. Let's get deeper market adoption and uh, hopefully be able to continue to sell in, develop additional products for the space. Tell, tell me what recruiting has been like over the last year. I mean, you you started kind of in the middle of the the pandemic, I, I think, or right or right before. I mean, all of your growth has been um, during during COVID. So, what has it been like? Like, how has your recruiting style and strategy changed and and morphed, and and, and what's worked to bring talent your way? Yeah. So. I guess to kind of preface it a little bit is, yeah. So when I started, COVID had just hit and we had just stepped in and, you know, we actually had some contraction early on, some people that weren't a great fit. So immediately COVID comes, we downsized the team. And so I started recruiting during COVID uh, in the midst of all that. And it was actually really challenging. You know, you think, okay, well, here comes COVID. 
a lot of people got furloughed and laid off. It should be really easy for you to go find talent. Well, it was actually the opposite was true. Everybody was looking for work. The market was so flooded with people uh, at all spectrums of their sales careers, whether it be SDRs or, you know, old field reps whose roles were somewhat obsolete. Uh, And so I think for me, the real strategy was, okay, well, how am I going to weed through this massive group of applicants, both, you know, online communities, you know, between the TNSs of the world and the revenue collectives and um, the modern sales pros, right? So going kind of fishing in there to get introductions was was helpful and beneficial. And then kind of just digging into my network too. Who did I know in the past? Who's hiring? Who got laid off? And and then just the general sort of message board. So for me, it was let's cast a really wide net and get as many people as possible in the door because I just I found so much that wasn't up to par for what I was looking for. Uh, which ultimately was a full cycle sales rep, which is also somewhat of something that doesn't really uh, exist as much anymore. Getting someone who can sit down and say, all right, well, I'm okay going to prospect and cutting my teeth out there and then, you know, running, running the deal through to close. So that was sort of my thought on what I needed and, and where I was fishing. Yeah. So here's my question. It's childcare in the middle of a pandemic. How I mean, nobody was doing childcare, were they? Or were they taking this time to sort of reorganize? And there's, you know, in terms of what you guys are doing, there's there's some value in terms of the health protocols and the safety protocols. Like, because, you know, were, were your customers even spending money? Because I can assume they were having zero cash flow in. We got very creative with our existing customers to reduce churn as much as humanly possible. Uh, it was a big effort and a big lift on behalf of the entire company. What does creative mean? Like we, you know, our normal process was this, here's how we had to rethink about it. Yeah. So I think normal process being like very fast sales cycle in our SMB segment, even mid market was, you know, within 30 days. And now we had people who, a lot of contraction. So when we got creative with it, it was scaling payments, deferred payments, uh, really trying to actually pare down product offering too, to be able to go out and offer a portion of our product for free. So we have a digital enrollment packet, which even though enrollments were lighter during COVID due to the shutdowns, due to the various different uh, limits that they put on by the city. So 50% of capacity was 100% full. So we knew going digital, well, these online enrollment packets would help at least get the families in that they could get in. So we leaned into some of the features that we knew were being used by our current customer base to help them uh, go out, leading with those features and then using that as a way to help validate our overall product. It was messy. Um, it was that, a lot of effort and there's no, there's, it wasn't perfect all the time. It was just you, a ton of trial and error. Yeah. Did you guys, and did you focus heavily on the, you know, on the States like Florida and Texas where, um, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana, where, where the, where the restrictions were less right from the state federal level, or I wouldn't say the federal level, but the state and local level. Yeah, we did. So one of the things that we noticed early on is we still had some inbounds and some inquiries coming in. 
And we also saw where our users were at from a current customer base. And we looked at what states those were in. And I think, Richard, you're spot on, right? We noticed a lot of the red states, the Texases, the Floridas, uh, Tennessees, Alabamas, Georgias, all those states were still able to buy and still willing to spend some money. Because what happened is, yeah, those states were open more, but when there was shutdowns within those states, a huge contraction in the childcare industry, well, these new parents had to go somewhere as long as they were willing to put their parents there. So there was still an issue that arose from these manual notebooks that were happening out there. It was just a lot harder to find. Uh, and, and it was just no shortage of, of effort at that point. Like we had our strategy, we went through it and that did help. For, for a little bit, it felt like every 30 days we were trying something new, though. Hmm. Well, how, how did you, how big of an adjustment was trying to get these new people ramped up? And, and have you, not have you gotten better at it, but like, what are you doing now when you're ramping somebody up that you kind of wish you would have done, you know, a year ago? So I wish I would have had more time. I wish I would have known the product better and I wish I would have known the sale better. So when we were first onboarding people, it was within my first couple of months of coming to childcare CRM. And I was still learning myself as I was trying to hire. So, you know, the original process was a lot of, okay, well, let's send it out and have other members of our team who knew the product more go onboard and train. Then from there, it was like, I'll try to filter some sales and some buyer personas and everything like that on top of the product training. And then take that all into, all right, let's do our discovery cert. Let's do our demo certs and let's get people ready to go. Yeah. And then from there, be able to say, okay, go hit the phones. Let's get things going. And it's just a lot of hands on by nature from there. Is that, I am, is that, is that a function yeah. just like, you know, new VP of sales, too much is asked of you at once, not knowing how to prioritize your time or not, not focusing maybe on the, the foundational thing of like, well, you better know your industry. You better know your product, right? Because we, we as VPs of sales get rushed through that process sometimes. And, and even if it's not from, you know, a boss, it's like we, we rush ourselves through it. You know, and I, I tell people all the time, like you only ramp once. So you really got to, kind of get it right, you know? Um, so I, I, I hear you talking about, about that. Wish you had more time with the product and stuff. It's like, I've been there before. I know other people have been there before. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, what caused that thing? Yeah. Uh, new VP of sales, new company, COVID coming, going remote all at the same time. Like I was learning everything new in like, a perfect storm coming together where I was not as diligent as I probably would have been otherwise, uh, or as I would like to think that I would have been in terms of my own checklist and trying to get things and make things just happen and get activity and get some type of momentum going through COVID. I probably rushed the process as well. So let me so ask I you think this. So let me ask you, yeah. Mike, let's say it had been a normal world right? Would you have still rushed the process? I know I did. I, I, I would like to think that in a normal world where I could do a lot more call shadowing and a lot more call listening, 
uh, and being just more hands-on by nature of being in the same room, in the same area, that would have helped me push the onboarding in terms of, well, is this rep really ready or do we need to hold them back a little bit more? Can we accelerate things or not? Without some of that, for me, I had not yet diagnosed a way to go in and say, okay, you're not on track right now outside of just the hard output numbers because there wasn't as much uh, of the overview on the soft skills as I was used to. And I think that's where to get back to the original question, like how has my onboarding changed? Like how am I looking at training much differently? Well, now I'm looking at it much more in the scope of, okay, let's get you really ingrained in the industry. Let's make sure you know who our buyers are. Let's make sure that you're taking time to understand what's the lingo. How are we operating? And then, how do these people think and how do they buy? So what is your, you know, now that you've built this out, you know, and you've been around the sales block a couple of times, you know, when you first came in and you were starting to train and onboard people, do you think it was, you know, a one to two week training period? And now because of COVID and it gave you a little bit of room to breathe, to think about onboarding, is it now a three or four week thing so that you can give more to the industry, to the buyer persona? Yeah. And that's pretty much what it was. It was like two weeks of training, week three, go get certed. If you fail, let's review why you failed, go back into it, get recerted again, and then you're out. You know, now, because I am more comfortable, not only in our industry, but also in our product and the nuances, having, you know, the pitch down a little bit better than I did when I was three months in, uh, as you would hope. It allows me to kind of go through the progression of really stacking those building blocks for a seller. You, so it's now you, we're cascading on top. In your world, how do you think now in terms of onboarding? Like I heard the two week thing and I'm like, okay, two weeks, then you're on the phone, right? Is it still two weeks you're on the phone, but we, you know, weeks three, four, five, six, we're teach, starting to teach you more or is it, no, we're holding them off the phone a little bit longer too. So for me, it's holding off the phone a little bit longer too and spending more time shadowing, listening, role-playing before getting on to build that confidence up. So I don't want to hold it off too long. You know, my sweet spot is maybe an extra week as opposed to getting them on week two. Now it's go on week three, week four. So um, is onboarding, I, I love what you just said, is onboarding more about building their confidence than it is about training them? You know, in my experience of the handful of times that I've done it, going from my last company where our onboarding was like a four-week intensive onboarding before you even got to your manager to come into a smaller company where obviously the timelines are shrunk, you need to get that quota coverage going uh, and rushing people. I do think the biggest part of onboarding that doesn't really get talked about is building that seller confidence. When they go to pick up the phone, do they have the resources available? Yeah. You know, do they know what to say? Do they feel like I've got a seat at the table with this buyer who may or may not know who I am and may or may not know who our company is? And if they say no, which we know is going to happen more often than yes, are they okay with that, knowing that they're sound in the foundational material that they have? Yeah, I mean, Scott, I, I want to ask you the same question. You know, when I first met Scott, you know, it was a one call close. We were training on Monday and we expected the first sale by Friday. <laughs> you remember that, Scott? Like, and, 
and and it wasn't Scott. Like I, like in fairness, it was sort of uh, the desire to be successful quickly. Also, you know, the founder and CEO was a was a pretty hard driver on revenue. Um, and I know Scott, your last place you were before you you moved into the current role. You know, I think you told me it was like a six week onboarding process, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we spent four weeks just teaching people the industry and the product, like not even working on sales skills, just like that, you know, that industry, the title insurance industry and our product at Qualio is so complex. Um, you know, I really, I basically put people through school to, to learn it, to prepare. And then there would be a couple weeks of sales related trainings and whatnot. So it's like a six month ramp. By far, how long, yeah. How long before you let them on the phone, Scott, at Quali? Uh, somewhere in between like week six and eight, they'd start dabbling a little bit. But really not not like full time until after two months. That's cool. I, I'm glad to hear that. And, I, you know, it seems, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's one of those silly things where it's copycats of like, oh, well, it's, everybody should be on the phone by either one week or two. Like that's, that's the industry norm, right? Um, at least that's my perception of it. So. Well, and I think back a lot to like when I first started at my first company too, it was, okay, here's Salesforce and here's our list and here's a call script, just go. Yeah. Like there was, there was I mean, this, bet, this wasn't that long ago, you know, it was 2012. I think, you know, you look from then to now, there's a huge difference in, what people are giving their sellers and what the expectation is and the rhetoric around sales training and coaching and all of these things that have, you know, it's seemingly come up really in the last 12 to 24 months more so. Um, but I'd be interested, Scott, too, how much help did you have in terms of like the product, the industry, like at Qualia, did you have different teams and people or at least people I mean, in I, the company helping to shape that, that onboarding? Not at the beginning. Um, you know, when I when I started, I basically locked myself in a room with the founders and made them teach me the industry and the product. And then one of the founders and I kind of started chipping away at all the things the product could do to come up with the right messaging to really nail the you know sales pitch. Um, you know, but I I was doing it. You know, we didn't have like. There was no marketing team. There wasn't even a customer service team. You know what I mean? I had, there was no help. I didn't have sales manager. I didn't have trainer. It was just like I had put these materials together through the course of my own training and then kind of tried to replicate my own training with the initial batch of 10 folks that I, that I hired. And that, that was it. And then obviously it grew and expanded out of that. You know, by the time I got out of there, we had a whole program. We were using, uh, tool like Lessonly. I had a sales trainer. I had a couple of people on, on the ops team, a couple of sales managers. They pull people over from customer success, pull somebody in from marketing. You know, I try to use all of the resources around me to help train somebody and, and ramp them up rather than thinking, oh, I've got to do this all myself. That's not, the, that's not yeah. my, that's not my preferred method where the VP is <laughs> doing all the training. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lift 
For sure. And, you know, right now, my company, what we've done is we're doing a big refresh and splitting out our product. To, you know, I mentioned before, we do SMB mid-market enterprise. Well, they buy differently from a feature standpoint. And as such, we've, we've actually come out with some new platforms. And in doing so, it's given me some time to take a step back, get into this new platform and build out some of these new trainings for the product. Uh, with some assistance internally from some of our other team members as well, who are intimately knowledgeable, which is helping to shape these, the future onboardings, the future trainings, making sure that we clearly understand who buys what version of this, what are the product features in there, and then getting much more um, detailed because it is becoming more complex. Now, I want to take us from this, like, hey, you're just starting at the company to the end of a prospecting cycle or or cadence because i i was having a conversation uh earlier this week with a client of mine and they were super focused on this breakup email and the the copy surrounding the breakup email and i wrote about this yesterday because i can't stand the concept of breakup email so i want to know your position and richard you can chime in as well like how do you feel about the concept of a breakup email and, you know, what is the right kind of, uh, you know, copy to put in there? What's the right way to phrase the messaging to, you know, get some results and, and not burn the relationship? This is, I'll, we'll start with Mike and then Richard. <laughs> so the breakup emails are always funny, right? Because it's like you're telling someone that you're not interested in them who never wanted to deal with you in the first place. It's like, we never had a dialogue. How can you break up with someone who you never yeah. spoke to? Yeah. Um, so, so the breakup email is kind of interesting. What I do think, though, is there does have to be some type of like terminal event that goes on there where it's like, all right, we've done what we can, but how are we prospecting? Like, are we telling a story? Are we drilling home the same point? Like at some point for me, when it gets out of the seller's hands, as opposed to that breakup email, I want you know what, let's actually go in with a whole new angle as our breakup email. Like if we've run so through our value you're, prop. You're not talking about a breakup. You're talking about just like a total reset. You're talking about let's yeah. start over. I was, I was, we were going in, you know, through the side door on the left. That doesn't work. Let's reset everything and try to go around through the right. That's right. We've got the whole other team coming in through the other side of the house, but it's quick. Like if they haven't engaged with our main stuff, it's like, I want one last hit to see if we can draw some interest up. And then after that, we're kicking them back into our nurture campaigns. that's run through marketing and our lead list. Like at that point, I don't want the sellers to have anything to do with it anymore because we haven't proven that this person's ready to buy. I think we're going to change the title of this one to when Richard and Scott, when Richard told Scott and Mike, they were fucking wrong about something. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let us uh, have there it. There we go. Mike, Tell Mike, you're, you think you're wrong. Mike, you're you're fifty percent right. Uh, and fifty percent <laughs> wrong. Scott, you're a thousand percent wrong. Number one, Mike, where you're right is you can't do a breakup email with someone who's never responded to you. So it's the wrong terminology. That's the first thing. The second thing is there's no such thing as a breakup email. There's a breakup sequence or cadence. One email hey, is not sounds like you're agreeing with me. Where's the part where I'm wrong? So the part of where you're wrong is you need to have, I didn't hear you say sequence or cadence. So 
um, you need to understand that you're going to do this only in a sense of if you've had a conversation or dialogue. Your first couple of touches, you know, by the time you start your breakup email sequence or cadence, it means you've already tried to connect with them two or three other times. So even then your first touch of a breakup is your fourth touch overall. And, you know, it's multi-threaded, meaning it's going to be email, phone call, LinkedIn. Your first email is going to be very simply this. I, I've been teaching this for years and I still get like once a month, I get someone says, this is a genius email. The subject line just says, are you okay? Hey, Scott, haven't heard from you in a while. Just want to make sure things are going okay. Let me know how you want to proceed. Like that's the first one, right? Then you can get progressively aggressive, right? Like I do have one and not everybody does it, but I, I have one that the subject line is literally the professional courtesy of a reply is requested. Because at that point, you know, I put my time in too, and my time is equally valuable. Um, and if that offends someone, then I was never going to get the business anyway. So, um, you know, so that that is my thought on the breakup piece. And I've got about seven or eight that you send in in these moments. So um, anyway, so I'll those stop there. And, those don't feel like breakup emails to me. Oh, there's different ones. I mean, there's, then there's, you know, there's the Chris Voss one, which I don't think works is, you know, have you given up on this? And then there's the final one. There is the final one that says, you know, last attempt, right? So yeah, it's, that, it's that stuff that I think is bullshit. It's the, this is my last attempt. No, it's not. It's not, we all know it's not going to be your last attempt. <laughs> so, but so I guess the, the challenge though, Scott, question, is though, that, Richard. Scott, the, the, the challenge is, is that by the time they get that, it's like the seventh or eighth one. And if you write it and says, look, please let me know so I don't keep wasting space in your inbox, right? The, the statistics di disagree with you, Scott, that those actually do work. So you may not like them. Like there's a couple of things, Scott, like, I don't like I that. I, I didn't say they don't work. I just you said, said I, you don't like it, which then would, yeah. if I were listening to this, someone might go, oh, if Scott doesn't like it. I'm not doing it. I know you don't have to, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. There, sure, there might be data that says some of it works. Let me, but let me flip it back to you, Scott. What does work? What do you do when someone dark goes ghost you and goes dark on you? I just don't believe, first of all, I don't like the word breakup. Breakup to me is sounds like a permanent thing. It means I'm not going to follow up with you anymore. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're, you're going to follow up. At the very least, your organization is still going to follow up. And to Mike's point, like, if we've never even engaged before, how are you breaking up with me? It doesn't make any sense. Well, that I agree. You can't, you can't break up with someone in a so, prospecting moment. But, Go ahead, yeah. And so, well, I was going to say, so that's, so originally I thought the question was right, like break up just in, just in prospecting, right? I think there is one thing I will do in an active selling motion. So you use the word ghosting, like my least favorite thing in the world. And if there is someone in an active sales cycle, like as opposed to a breakup email, and I guess it could kind of be referred to that, what I will do and what I teach the team to do is go back to that very first discovery call you had with them. And this is kind of my final email. If it's in an active sales cycle, go back to that first discovery call you had with them, figure out and relive what their pain points were and use their exact words from that first call, put it back in an email and ask them what has changed that this is no longer a priority for you. you like go. that's my, that's my, if you're in an active selling motion, 
but so I kind of split it up, right? If there, there's the prospecting side of things where, yeah, I'm pretty quick. Like if people aren't after those multi touches in there, get it out. If it's in that motion, I'm using your words. I'm bringing it back to you. And if you still don't answer, well, something went wrong. Yeah. We got to move it out. Well, if we, if we move away from this breakup email comp to, to another tactical kind of question and, and something that I saw flying around in the last week, it was, it was the openers that people use. And, and there's the like, hey, can I spare 27 seconds of your time to tell you what I think, which I can't stand at all. I, I hate that so much. Um, and then there's the like, you know, hey, are you the right person to talk to? There is the person who goes straight into like, this is the problem we solve. Is that is that something that you, you know, are experiencing? So I want to know from you, Mike, how do you feel about the openers? Like what's what's Mike's opening line in his in his pitch what's your sales style and philosophy like that you that you teach i'm sure Richard so, and I disagree again um <laughs> uh, man so i think my first default on this is always like let's go call out something that's a known issue like if we know it's an issue i want to call out something right away you know for instance child care we know that people lose leads all the time so it could be something like, hey, Scott, look, we understand that people are losing leads, they're falling through the cracks, and it's not your fault. It's just you don't have enough time in the day. Are you guys experiencing this, and is it impacting your enrollment? Right? It could be something as quick as that. The other thing I really like to do, so it's I'll call out the issues that we know right away. The other thing is websites. So in childcare, websites are a big issue. Contact us forms are very outdated. Again, with COVID and everybody going online, there's no walk-ins to childcare centers anymore. If your website is not up to date, you are at a huge deficit and you will lose out to your competitors. So we started switching the way that we're selling and the way that the team's pitching because we noticed this was happening. Now it's, you know, hey, Richard, this is Mike from Childcare CRM. I was on your website and I was having trouble reaching out to you. Do you have a couple of moments to talk? And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, the floodgates are open, right? It's like, oh my God, I hate that website. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me, tell me why you don't like it anymore. Yeah, that's, very, that's very a similar, way to be really relevant to some of the pitches that I've used in in the past at at different companies. What do you think about Mike's Mike's approach, Richard? Because I've used that <laughs> same approach. I've used that same approach successfully, and I really like it. If, if, if it's an option. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. So, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like the whole, sub, the whole subject matter of this is like, what are our pickup lines and what are our breakup emails, right? Like that's, this is what we're talking about, right? <laughs> how, do I, how do I pick you up and how do I put you down? <laughs> right. Um, which actually I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to change that in my prospecting training. I like that one. Um, although it's 2021, I might offend somebody and their delicate sensibilities. Um, which Scott knows I'll, you know, I'm so conscious of. Um, so I, I, I agree and I disagree. Like, I think that it's, the tactic is right to Scott's 27 second piece. It's not the 27 seconds request. It's what they say after that. And if they don't say the right thing after that, then that bothers them. But I want to know Scott. So, so to Scott, I, I want to ask Scott, what does work? Right. Is it, hey, someone knows my pain deep enough that they hit me at the right time? Um, you know, so 
you know, what works. Oh. And granted, Scott, you're such a skeptic, you know, in general, like we know this, like this is, you know, there's two ways you're going to get Scott's attention. One, you talk about the Buffalo Bills. Two, you talk about surfing and maybe Giants baseball, right? Like and that. I, and, the, and the other is. Or it's kids. It's kids. But, and the other is you zealously tell me that this is the way something is. Because even if it's like works and is right, I'm just immediately going to default to want to prove it wrong or want to go against the, the gray. So not, not everybody can do what Mike said, though, be, depending on what you sell. Right. In Mike's case, he's able to go look at a website and be like, hey, I was on your website. I see this thing that is, you know, busted or problematic or whatever. Like, are you the person who handles that? I want to, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you have the opportunity to do something like that, for me, I love that. I think I got their attention straight away and I'm instantly into a conversation about pain. Right. And that's where I, that's where I want to be. So that works for sure. And I'm, I'm in full support of that. I, I, just really dislike the can I have 27 seconds of your time and you know if, if if I bore you you can hang up on me like they just feel so gimmicky I, I hate the gimmickness of it all and and the and the dorky little game I, I would I refuse to do it even if it works just because I feel like a jackass pitching that particular way I wouldn't I wouldn't do it well, I would, I would agree with you. There's something to be said for authenticity, right? You, you got to teach people yeah. four or five things and then they need to figure out what's authentic to them, right? Yeah. Because I would not, I wouldn't, like I've seen Scott make cold calls. He would never do it that way, right? No, never. never, right? Never. It's, it's, never. it's like our friend, Brian Gata. Brian was always really unique and different, Scott. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. so Mike, what are, what, what are your other thoughts? Like you, you shared a lot of things about, you know, I wouldn't say mistakes, but things you've learned because of COVID. Cause there were no, like you couldn't make a mistake in COVID, right? Like you, you really, like nobody knew what the fuck we were doing. Right. Um, so, but in general terms, as you built your sales career, what are some of the other things that you could share that like, you know, I wish I had learned this better, or I wish someone would have told me this so I didn't have to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Okay. So there's, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, I think all of us have a, the number one thing that comes to mind for me, like, oh, I wish I would have had this one skill earlier is I wish I would have just leaned in to saying no to people. Like, it's so easy for me now in a selling motion to be like, okay, like, this is not a good fit. Get out of here. I don't care how big the deal is. Like, we're not, like, this isn't going to work, right? Like, we've gone, we've asked our good questions. We've gone through discovery. We found out, you know, there are some nuances in your business that you want to work, and those are non-negotiables for you. We're not going to bend and break to make that happen. So, you know, Richard, earlier you said, you know, part of a breakup email for you is, well, it's my time as a seller, too. I wish that I would not have just chased everything and focused my energy on things that could have closed right away. Like I wish I was taught that lesson. And, you know, within that, I wish I would have been taught, here's what really good question asking looks like. Here's how you can go and say a question. And I'm still a, a victim and a perpetrator of these double barreled questions. I find myself doing it all the time. So like, Hey, Scott, what's your favorite color? And does it match your sports team? Like, ask one and then shut the fuck up. Like, I wish I would have learned that earlier. I didn't. 
Uh, it didn't come until a little bit later where like my own catch line catchphrase for myself was let these people sell themselves, which was the way that I would remind myself to ask good questions and feed off that. I think that's got to be the biggest one for me. I like this double. I like that phrase, double barreled questions. I've never heard that before. And I'm still guilty of that for what you it's do worth. do it all the time on the podcast. Yeah, I do it all the time. It's not even double barrel. It's like fucking, you know, locked and loaded. <laughs> like it doesn't stop. It's like a machine gun. I feel like Mike just called out our biggest problem, Richard. I would agree. So tell me what you think about You're- it. It doesn't really bother you. <laughs> it's so what you know what i found is the funny thing is i haven't even noticed it here if you guys have said any today possibly because i do it myself you know it's so hard to catch when you're in that motion but then like i think about it too like mike i know you're active on linkedin <laughs> you need to go write that you need to go write the one thing the I, double barrel. I learned was stop asking the double barrel question like that's a genius genius post yeah, it's like our attention span so so thin too. So I think the other thing to go along with that is we're on the same theme, right? It's this idea of asking good questions, shutting up, letting people go. Uh, I think we abandon things too quickly too. In sales, we're just so ingrained in this quick hit, quick hit, quick hit. Like we need to make this happen. We need to go build pipeline. Let go of opportunities or like let go of something that's working and, and over tinker and, and then screw it all up. Over tinkering, mm. over tinkering. I think we, as, and especially as sales leaders too, and I know this is something that happened early on when I was first leading teams and groups, being so eager to show that I was valuable, being so eager to show that I was smart and what I was doing was making an impact. You find yourself like, Oh, this didn't work after one week. Let's throw it out and change something. You know, I think there's a point in time where you have to abandon things. For me, that feels like it's roughly around the 30-day mark if it's truly not working, sometimes the 60-day mark if it's in a longer motion. Uh, but yeah, I wish that I would have had more trust. Days. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I would have learned earlier on, like, hey, this is difficult. It is in some regards a numbers game, but don't throw, you know, these certain processes, don't throw these certain pitches away too early. I was a victim of that. Um, and I wish I wasn't. I'm trying uh, not I'd to be interested. on mute so Scott doesn't yell at me. <laughs> I at least did the what right were thing. Yours, what were yours though? Do you have any? What were my biggest mistakes? The biggest ones you wish you had learned early in your career. Uh, God, there's, my problem is I think they repeat every now and then. Um, <laughs> we're, still, we're, we're still trying to fix them. <laughs> right. Uh, one is my, the biggest mistake is how to turn my turn, how to, how to not talk on mute. Um, that's probably the last year. Um, attention span has been hard for me, but I think I've figured out some of that sort of medically, actually, uh, that's been a hard one. Um, I think that, uh, I learned something yesterday that um, apparently I have some level of timeline ignorance. I was, I was late to a meeting yesterday and I think I may have lost the deal, which I, I posted about um, today, but that may be, I think that's probably my biggest thing. That's the one. And it's, it's still the hardest thing for me. Um, you know, so I have to 
keep reminding myself to get better at that. So that that's my biggest one. But I want to give a quick shout out to Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411 and Gong.io. You know, I would ask Scott what his biggest mistakes are, but we don't have enough time. There's like six right. hours. Right. Yeah, a whole hour. <laughs> right. His biggest mistake was probably partnering with me. Um, so, but, but Mike, you know, we do this at the end of every episode, which is, you know, what do you want to ask us aside? Maybe that is it. Maybe that's what you want to ask Scott is what's our, what's his biggest mistake, but is there a place you'd like to ask for some advice or something you want to mention that you're focusing on, you know, charity wise or anything? Yeah, there's a, there's a big focus right now. It feels to me on making sure that as a sales leader, right, we are being empathetic and running the team the right way. And it's been a hard year, but at the same time, and I am admittedly a bit of a hard driver and I am demanding and I expect people's best often. It's a hard balancing act and it's really hard to, you know, when you hire remote and when you train remote, build these relationships when you're not physically as present all day. And when at some point, you know, if you got things rolling are only talking once a day and maybe that's by phone. So I would love to get your guys's advice, opinions, and takes on from a leadership standpoint, how do you balance in a remote setting this this give and take of when to drive, when to give, and really how to stay in tune with the team and the individual sellers on it or just how they're holding up? Com- complex question, trying to simplify answer in a couple, couple of sound bites. But uh, I, and Richard could probably tell you this even all the way back, but I actually drive way harder when we're doing well than when we're struggling. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't like my team to get overconfident or, or too cocky. And I feel like when the getting's good, you got to keep getting it because you don't know when the hot streak is going to kind of run out. So if you're, if you're my team, Mike, you're on my team and we're doing really well, like I'm going to push. If you and other people on my team are struggling, I pull back quite a bit and go very much into like supportive mode. What can I do to remove obstacles out of your way? How can I be helpful? Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is, uh, you know, you mentioned talking once a day, and I don't, I don't know what that means to you, um, you know, whether it's once on the phone or, or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I, I really think that we've got to find a way to sort of be talking to our team members all day, every day, in a way that's supportive and that they like and enjoy and not in a way that's micromanagey or pushy or annoying. And that's a little bit different for each person. You know, that could be two minute phone call here, five minute zoom here, three or four Slack messages back and forth, a goofy little tech text message to just like, let somebody know that you're, you know, thinking about them or whatever. Right. Like I have this one client who tells me, please pester me to like hold me accountable. Right. And, uh, she, she once told me that, you know, when I send her these messages that she pictures like Dr. Evil in her head. 
So, so yesterday I like sent her this, this picture from the movie where Dr. Evil's like petting, you know, I forget the cat's name, the hairless cat, whatever, whatever the cat's name. And, you know, she wrote back, wrote back and was like, I just laughed out loud. Like, okay, I'm on it. Like refocus, like any little piece of communication like that. I just don't think that once a day is enough, I guess is my point. So I'm trying to do as much as possible without driving anybody insane or annoying them. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, so I think it, it at the highest level, what you're asking, and it's something we needed to do before COVID, but it's just you know become the forefront of it is the soft skills, right? Nobody teaches us as leaders these soft skills about connecting with people. We say it, you know, we say, oh, you know, you know, manage the team, coach the individual. Nobody knows how to fucking do that, right? Um, and so it's, you know, the soft skills are the hard skills. And so I think that's the piece that matters. And I've, I've recommended to a couple of companies because um, everybody's on Slack, right? Um, I've said, you know, funny cat videos and memes, like they have to create a channel for that so that it can be HR appropriate, but people can just do stuff to send something that just makes people laugh and engage you know, in a different way. I also think the other piece is, you know, when you talk, to, you know, people need to understand there's a difference between a one-on-one -on -one and a pipeline review. A one-on-one -on -one has zero to do with the revenue of the team or their job, right? A one-on-one -on -one has to do with their career and their life. And so making sure that at least two of your one-on-ones a month are, how are things going? What are you up to? What are your goals? Like, what are you trying to accomplish outside of here? And where can I help you there, right? And that's where, to Scott's point, you figure out the right little meme to send, right? But showing, you know, it's all about caring and it's, and it's definitely being driven from the bottom up and it's been driven from the bottom for a long time from the millennials of like, you know, I need purpose. I need to work for someone who gets that purpose matters, that my lifestyle matters. And I was certainly not of that generation, right? Where one, it didn't come to me that way. You know, it was like work hard, play hard, right? Well, what the fuck does that mean, right? And how do you encourage that playing and that playfulness during the day when you're working hard? It's not like grind for six months and then go take a week of vacation, right? It's not like grind five days a week and then, you know, chill out on the weekend. Like that, nobody can fucking survive that, um, you know? So that, that to me is what it means. And it, those are soft skills, and they take, they take time to learn and, and develop. But it, it, it's not even that, I, I think I agree with you. It's not, it's it's not like not there's a quick taught. course you can go take on, you know. None of it, yeah. Being a good human. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's, and that's, I think, in, in both your answers, the little takeaways is it's, it's consistent investment in the things that people care about and knowing when, when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And yeah, everybody's different. I think that the nature of the question for me is that I have seen it become more difficult to get in touch with that for me as a leader, maybe not for other people, but for me um, and understanding how that might impact others. So I think those it's are, uh, appreciate the, the insightful. It's stretching the, the lengths of uh, endurance right now a little bit, you know, could, for example, it could have been, easy to go to that place emotionally and, and mentally the first month or two, but we're in month 13, 14 now. Right. And you, we've, some, some of us have exhausted damn near every idea we can think of. Right. And, and so to Richard's point, 
Maybe we need to decompress a little bit. Maybe we need to step back to get some creativity back or some perspective or some sense of calm back um, so we can be better, better leaders. Right. So, so that's all. I mean, I really love this last part of the conversation. This could have been a great one hour conversation or more. Um, so, uh, but we definitely have to wrap it up and I, you know, sorry to do that. Cause Mike, I'm, I love, you know, I love talking to you and I love calling Scott out for being wrong all the time. Right. So there's <laughs> been two of my, two of my favorite uh, things. To do, so I don't know why Scott puts up with me. I give him so much shit on this show. Like, it's really funny. Like he rarely gives it back other than when I'm on. I thrive on people giving me shit. So. Oh, I love uh, it. That's the cold outreach. Hey, Scott. I'm calling to give you shit. You said so right. on your podcast. Right? That'll right. get his attention. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with us, Mike. Thanks, yeah, I appreciate Mike. it. Thanks for having fun. me, guys. Cheers, bud. Yeah.